Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. You can find episode show notes, past episode archives, and listener discussions at our website, thenexttrack.com. And in between episodes, follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. For almost three years now, we've been releasing the Next Track episodes on Friday, but we record on Mondays and we just kind of felt, well, maybe we could be a little more timely with the release date. So now we're releasing it on Wednesday. So if you're using the show to let you know what day of the week it is, it's not Friday, it's Wednesday when it comes out now. Carry on. So we wanted to do a show about ambient music. You did. I did. Ambient music is one of my favorite types of music, but it's not one of my favorite genres. And the problem with the genre of ambient music is that most of it is not ambient music. Much of today's ambient music consists of shimmering waves of synthesizers. It's much more sophisticated than the simpler versions of those sounds that were used in New Age music back in the 1980s. Ambient music is, by its nature, studio music. But there have been some interesting experiments in live forms of ambient music, such as a recording of Brian Eno's music for airports by Bang on a Can. Performing live ambient music is somewhat like performing dub music live. It's just not designed for that, because Eno's ambient music is generative, which means it follows an algorithm to create itself, and it's not nailed down with a score. And this live recording of music for airports is simply a transcription of the generative sounds that Eno recorded on his record. In some ways, today's ambient music is just a new form of Muzak. Much of it is amorphous electronic music with the kind of structure you find in songs instead of these open, long-form pieces of music. And there's no better way to hear this than to check out one of the very long ambient music playlists on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. I'll link in the show notes to Ambient Essentials, which is currently 12 hours, 21 minutes, 100 songs. And frankly, as I listen to that, it sounds like electronica. It doesn't sound too much like ambient music. To be fair, in the editor's notes to this playlist, they say the definition of ambient music is as amorphous as the sounds the genre encompasses. Well, I don't know what ambient music is either, but I have a couple of interesting things that I think are ambient music. And I think the first time I came across it was when I was a kid. My father was interested in, in, in electronic music, and we had Switched On Bach, and we had some Tomita albums. And he also had this thing by Morton Sabotnik called Silver Apples of the Moon. And it was purely, it was the first um, album that was commissioned by uh, a record label, Nonesuch, as purely electronic music. And my, my mother and father would put this thing on, and it's mostly a lot of synthetic noises. Some of the noises were familiar from Switched On Bach, those, those very, early, you know, not necessarily Keith Emerson sounding synthesizer sounds, but these bangs and boings and twings and... I just, it didn't grab me, and I always thought that that was atmospheric ambient music, because it just doesn't stop. It's it's a full side. It's two pieces. It's one side one and side two of the record. It's it's kind of ugly. It's not attractive to listen to this, and so my impression of ambient music was always that. Then I heard music for airports, and I thought, well, that's that's interesting, although I always thought that that was like a music sort of thing. It was purposely made to be in the background. It wasn't meant to be listened to up front. Then the next thing I ran into, which was which you've mentioned, is this New Age music. I, I, I had the luck to date an uh, interesting young lady when I was in my 20s, and she liked New Age music. And when we visited my parents, 
she brought some of the new age music with her and put it on. And I'm like, don't put it on because, you know. And my father le actually leaned over to me and said, what is this expletive? And I said, well, it's new age music. It's supposed to be relaxing. It's supposed to be, you know, kind of in the background. You don't really, it was like this Yanni sort of stuff. You know the stuff I'm talking about. It wasn't awful, but it was, I guess the best thing you could say about it was it was pleasant. Eventually, my father did admit, he said, well, it's pleasant. It doesn't get in the way, but it's not like I want to sit down and listen to it. Now, the interesting thing about all those three things is that none of them were appealing to me. They had no musical value. Whereas when I listen to the generative music by Brian Eno, either from the apps that Peter Chilvers has created or from some of the recordings that he's done at installations and that sort of thing, I find it much more pleasant to listen to, even though it's meant to be listened to in the background. I find it fun to listen to that because I like to think of how it's being created. And I'm not sure why I find that interesting about it. You know, the fact that it's generative and you don't know what's coming next. And that's what made it interesting. And the other thing you said I thought was really interesting, too, is you can't perform ambient music live. Not really. It does remind me of electronic music, dance music. And strangely enough, when I was reading about doing stuff for this episode, Morton Sabotnik's Silver Apples of the Moon is considered to be the um, early electronica prototype because side two does have some rhythmic things it's not like you can dance to it really but it's rhythmic to the degree that it's synthetic so i i am i find it i find ambient music interesting but as you say some of the music that we think of as ambient really isn't ambient it's more for lack of a better phrase jazzy uh new agey i mean i don't know how to how to call it i don't want to diss it because you know they're musicians they went to work they went to they made this stuff so what do you consider ambient music what do you consider like like pure ambient music well the history of ambient music goes back to the mid-16th century a form of music called tafel music which means table music and this was the music that was played at banquets and when the princes and kings were eating meals and you'd have a dozen people and you'd have a small ensemble of musicians in the background just the way that today at sort of high-level fundraisers, there's a string quartet hiding someplace behind curtains just to mask the silence. The minstrel in the gallery, as it were. The minstrel in the gallery, yes, behind the red curtain. Right. Eric Satie created what he called furniture music. I believe this was in 1917, Musique d'Ameublement, which was designed as background music played by live performers. And one of the important things about the furniture music, it was designed to not attract your attention. And if the music has a catchy... See, what, what attracts us in music is repetition. We hear a melody that we like, and then it comes back again. That's why you have A-A-B-B forms and, and you know all these things where uh, music repeats, the, the verse, the chorus, etc. So if we hear something, that draws our attention. You've heard a nice little melody like... You know, the little phrase that Proust hears in his novel and tries to find throughout the book. And you hear it again, it's like, oh, that's a reminder. And the whole point of ambient music is you don't hear that. Of course, if you look at, let's take discrete music, Brian Eno's 1975 recording, which while not labeled ambient music, really was the first of his ambient recordings. That first side's about 30 minutes long, and you do hear things repeating. You hear notes, you hear melodies, you hear intervals you hear you hear repetition but since it's played at a low volume 
since it's played without calling attention to itself, you can let it be just furniture music. You can let it be in the background. If you go into the present, Brian Eno's Music for Installations, it was my next track pick last year, and I'll put a link in the show notes for Apple Music. This is pure ambient music designed for artistic installations and designed to not be heard, to not be noticed. And yet some of them, particularly there's a, a track about 45, 50 minutes long called E Dormienti, which has like a, a sort of a jazzy bass rhythm that goes on in it. And it's really hard to ignore. So we get to the point of what exactly is ambient music? When when Eno wrote what was called Ambient One, Music for Airports, which was arguably the first ambient music labeled as such, he wrote that he had spent several hours at an airport in Germany, and he was annoyed by the uninspired sound atmosphere. And he wanted to have something that would, as he said, accommodate many levels of listening attention without enforcing one in particular. It must be as ignorable as it is interesting. And that, to me, is the perfect balance of ambient music. You can let it go in the background if you want, or you can hook into it if you want as well. When you listen to music, uh, ambient music, do you listen in front or do you listen in back, or do you do both? It depends. Very often, I'll listen to ambient music while I'm doing something else, like reading. It's not the kind of music where I'm going to sit down and say, I'm going to listen to this and just sit and do nothing but listen. That I wouldn't do. But... There is a familiarity that develops with ambient music over time. The first time you hear a certain ambient piece, it's ambient. But as it goes on and you become familiar with it, even in your subconscious, then it takes on a presence. I was just going to say, now, wait a minute, now, hear me out here. You hear an ambient piece. Let's say it's music for airports, the LP. You put it on, you listen to it. Then you listen to it a second time. And since you already are familiar with it, it's no longer ambient. And the other question I have is, since you're talking about music for background, what is what is the difference between ambient music and music for your barbecue? Or, you know what I mean? Is, is that ambient music? Are playlists, are modern playlists a form of ambient music? You call it wallpaper music, but I mean, is it ambient music? I, I think the real question is, what is the semiotics of ambient music? It's ambient music if you call it ambient music. If you call it music for an event, like a barbecue, a party, a dinner, it's not ambient music anymore because you've selected a certain type of music for an event. To, to me, the ambience of the music is in your desire for the music to be ambient, to accept that it's in the background, rather than just to have something to cover the sound, like the music for a barbecue. But would that Haydn string quartet played at the Metropolitan Museum of Art um, during a fundraiser count as ambient music because for most people played correctly it will just barely bubble up above the volume of the conversation um, it will not become too present but when there's silence it means that you're not faced with dead air yeah that's interesting you know i said um, a few minutes ago i said you can't do ambient music live but i have actually played um acoustic music for events like that, art gallery openings and things like that. And we were that we were charged with just play music in the background. <laughs> you know, don't sing, just play some music. Yeah. And so I guess you can play a type of ambient music live, but it's not meant to be paid attention to. So it's not really, is it a performance <laughs> if no one's paying attention to it? Is it real or is it Memorex? I think I think there, what's important is the presence of the musicians. If the musicians are 
in, if people are paying attention to the musicians, it's no longer ambient. But if you're in a balcony or in a corner someplace, then it is, right? So the string quartet, often on movies where you have a, a, a fundraiser and a string quartet, they're on a balcony. They're never in the center of, of the space where the people are. And that makes it ambient music. That changes that Haydn or even Mozart or... Would you play a Beethoven concerto? Would you play a Beethoven string quartet as ambient music? I don't think so. You see, so there also you have a choice of music. You wouldn't play a symphony as ambient music. It has to be something relatively small scale, a string quartet, a piano piece. I was just going to say, you know, when you go to Macy's and the guy playing the piano is just kind of diddling around with standards and pop music, I mean, that's ambient music. I don't, I mean, I'm sure some people do sit down in front of the guy, but it's not meant to be part of you're not meant to experience the piano as the piano you're meant to experience macy's with piano music in the background but you're also meant to be familiar with the music and that makes you comfortable when you hear songs that you know it's like christmas music christmas music is a really good example of ambient music because all it's its only purpose is to create a christmas atmosphere you don't listen to christmas music before about well, before Thanksgiving, I guess. It's not until after Thanksgiving. Maybe in, in November you start listening to Christmas music, when it starts getting cold in the Northern Hemisphere. But you rarely listen to it for the music. You listen to it for the memories that it elicits, the, those childhood memories of hearing those songs with your parents that you're now playing for your own kids. You're playing it for that. You're not playing it to hear Bing Crosby or Nat King Cole. You're hearing it because... There's an emotional connection between that music and a particular period of the year. The thing is, we, I think we talked about this when we talked about Christmas music, is you don't listen to Christmas music any other time except at Christmas. So it has a purpose. So you are intended to listen to it. It's It can't possibly be background. If you heard Jingle Bells in July, you'd say, that's not ambient music. That's somebody playing Jingle Bells in July. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. That that would that would cut through the background because of the context in which it's played. And that's a very strange kind of music, Christmas music, having, having such a context like that. So uh, the question of familiarity of ambient music is, is really interesting. And, and I mentioned earlier, once you get familiar with something, you're more likely to notice the melody. I could name that tune of the first track on Music for Airports in two notes. Even just one, that sort of, there, there's a couple of instruments, there's a piano and something else going on, and there's a little bit of echo and reverb, and I could name that tune in one note, probably. And for the other pieces, it's a little bit different because it's always the first side or the beginning of the CD you put on. You don't always get to the end. So the bit with all the vocals is the one that I hear the least. But that first one, I could almost hum the entire piece, even though it's generative. Okay, so that brings us back to what you talked about at the beginning, the um, the project where... Uh, an ambient project was um, transcribed and recorded or performed. Bang on a Can did that in the late 90s with Music for Airports, and they do the whole Music for Airports album. And as I said, what they did is they took the generative music, scored it, and canonized it to play it only that way. Instead of, say, Terry Riley's In C, a minimalist piece which has 50-odd little fragments and the musicians are free to move from one to the next when they want, no two performances are the same. If they took a piece like that and followed those rules, it would have its own existence. But what they've done is they've simply copied, it's like they've copied a photocopy in some ways, yeah. just with slightly different instrumentation. 
the whole thing so far has been very interesting. I still am not compelled to listen to a lot of. You gave me the uh, the playlist to listen to, and I listened. I dropped the needle on a whole bunch of of the tracks. I wasn't going to listen to the full twelve hours. I think I would have gone out of my mind. But well, you could have just put it on in the background. Well, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Do I want to put it on in the background, or, or do I want to do some critical listening of it because I wanted to like kind of soak up what exactly is ambient music and so you know it's like we were just talking about if you're paying attention to it it's not ambient music anymore but i had to pay attention to it because i wanted to to glom on to what it was about and what and most and the instruments used and the techniques and things like that because i'm i'm interested in stuff like that there's an interesting quote from lester bangs on wikipedia on the page about music for airports he says it has a crystalline sunlight through windowpane quality that makes it even as you half listen to it and that that's quite astute from Lester Bangs, that even if you don't listen to it, it's there, it bubbles up, it comes back, and you hear familiar phrases. Now, there's a composer that I really like, and I mentioned him a few times, Morton Feldman. He was a contemporary of John Cage. His music was very different. Cage used chance operations after a certain time for all his music, and I know Feldman had some sort of thing going on in the background, but it wasn't quite the same his stuff is carefully scored. A lot of Cage's scores can be played by any group of musicians, and there are a lot of there's a lot of latitude. And Feldman's music's not like that. But if you listen to some of his works, and I'll put a link in the show notes to Triadic Memories, which is a long piano piece about 70, 80 minutes long. In many ways, it's an ambient type of music. You have a little phrase, another little phrase that's a little bit different, another little phrase that comes back. You have rhythms that repeat you have phrases that repeat it's all meant to be played very softly i think it's scored like pppp you know piano 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 pianissimo however they describe it and, and a lot of his later music long pieces of music as, as long as six odd hours for his second string quartet is constructed like that with little bits that just come and go and that build up and and you don't have that sort of classical exposition, resolution, you know, all those things that go on where the music is a narrative, essentially, telling a story. You, you just have bits of music that are one after another and that they only follow each other because they're sequential, not because there's necessarily a melodic relationship. And I really like that as both ambient music and music to pay attention to when you can listen to the subtleties. So back to that ambient playlist. I mean, it was really depressing. And so I put it on shuffle because... I mean, come on, you have to put it on shuffle. You can't listen to that in order. There is some stuff that really sounds like, I don't know, Cabaret Voltaire, that sort of, you know, 80s electronic stuff with noise. That There's not a lot in there that's truly ambient, but there's so much music that is just those waves of synthesizers and that, that sort of proto-New Age music. And then I went and I put on a George Winston record. So George Winston was a pianist in the early 1980s, he was probably the herald of New Age music. His music was incredibly popular. Because of him, the was it Celestial Harmonies, the record label, actually had a very long existence because of his records. They were the biggest sellers. Uh, I, don't, I think we discussed this in an earlier episode, that what made this label popular was that they sold their music in health food stores. And the music as such wasn't meant to be sort of New Age, you know, fitting with that lifestyle, but it's just that they had chosen an alternative form of distribution that made that that style of music was linked in with alternative lifestyles. And you listen to George Winston, it, it's very melodic, it's very, what's the word? There, there are these cloying, 
melodies that come through and you hear them and they're like they 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 pull you and and i listened to another record by ludovic yainodi the other day and he's written dozens of records of this same kind of piano music that's it's almost cheating the way he just creates these little tiny melodies that are like oh and they just carry you away and it's like it's like fake music and there's some there's some of Inodi's music in this ambient playlist but in no way would i consider that ambient i've created fake music um i was in the 80s and the 90s i did a lot of synthesizer music we used to actually what i mostly used it for was creating song parodies at the radio station but every so often, inspired by this girl who I mentioned who had New Age, I said, you know, I can I can generate that stuff. And I did. I mean, I know I spent a couple of weeks, you know, writing some songs and just recording some stuff that had that feel to it. All you needed was a really a basic melody and a couple of chord changes and just looping it and bang, New Age. <laughs> and, I, and, and the other thing I, I thought of, too, was that when I was working in radio, we would have to use licensed uh, music. We would buy these large uh, libraries of music. And a lot of the guys who created music for these libraries also created New Age music. I mean, they produced it. They were like a factory. And that's one of the reasons I was always turned off by New Age music, because I know these guys are just cranking it out. It's It's not any different, really, than what they're doing for... For these, uh, you know, for these industrial uh, sound libraries, it's just elongated. They're, they're not a minute. They're not thirty seconds. They're not fifteen. They're six, seven, eight minutes long, and that's that's one of the reasons why I have a, a funny feeling about this new age electronic music. I love electronica. I like EDM. I like techno. I like that stuff. And at least that's up front, and it's long and it's elongated and it's 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 not meant to be ambient in, as such but it's electronic, whereas the music in this playlist that we were talking about, it does have a, a new age feel. It does have, I can do that <laughs> with my synthesizers. The, the technology's improved since the That's 80s, true. but it does have that kind of, that. it's got that obligatory minor key that tries to hook you in with simple melodies. It's just got this sort of, these rhythms that kind of slow down a little bit to let you think, and it's kind of, it's, I don't know. So Brian Eno made four of these records, Ambient 1, Ambient 2, Ambient 3, and Ambient 4. Two of them were with Harold Budd, and I think that's some of the best music I have ever heard in my life, and it's anything but ambient. You can put Harold Budd's music on in the background, but Harold Budd is like the thinking man's new age music. Those records are just extraordinarily beautiful, and it's almost wrong to consider it as ambient music. It's too good for that, and that's another thing. A lot of this music, you know, we're saying it's fake and all. There's just not much music in it. There's sounds in it. There's keys and there's rhythms and there's instruments, but there's not music. And you can listen to this playlist and it just 12 hours of music that just keeps going on and on and sounds the same. And it's a bit depressing after a while. So I kind of thought that in this episode, we talk about a number of ambient artists I'll link to a Wikipedia page with a list of ambient artists. And, and I'm looking at people like Loraji. Loraji is one of the four ambient records that Brian Eno made. He plays a sort of a zither. And there is an ambience in the fact that it's like a fast rhythm, th rhythm thing, and it can be a bit trance-inducing, but no more than that. Bill Laswell, I mean, Bill Laswell on bass, this is, you know, serious, heavy-duty stuff, lots of dissonance, lots of chromaticism, anything but ambient. You know, if you want ambient music, 
look at Miles Davis's In a Silent Way. I'll link to the complete In a Silent Way sessions. There's some beautiful stuff there that's just, it's just laid back. And it's none of these fancy Miles Davis riffs. It's all, it's all atmospheric. And I don't know. Does anyone else care about ambient music? I mean, it's some of my favorite music, but as I said early on, I don't like the ambient genre. And again, I'm looking at all these names of artists on this page, and there are so many that just aren't ambient. So I've got a next track pick, which actually showed up in For You because the new For You in Apple Music has a different way that it displays. There used to be these little four sets of four records, and now it's based on this, based on that. And so since I'd listened to this Ambient Essentials playlist, it popped up a Based on Ambient Essentials. So I was looking through it this morning. And I found a recording by Ryuichi Sakamoto called Ryuichi Sakamoto Playing the Piano, 2013, in Yokohama. He recorded a record called Playing the Piano, I believe it's 2009, and apparently he was on tour. And I looked. it took me a while to figure out what this was because the album artwork isn't square. It was actually the music that came with a DVD. It was sold as a DVD, Blu-ray, and two CDs. And it doesn't look like you can buy the CDs separately, but the CDs are on Apple Music and Spotify. They list it as J-pop, as the genre. I, I would call this very similar to the piano music that Harold Budd plays. It's very George Winston-ish. There's a jazziness. There's a mellowness. There's a bit of his Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence film soundtrack. There's a bit from The Sheltering Sky from The Last Emperor because he's done a lot of film soundtracks. But a lot of this music is just laid-back music. It's not in any way ambient but it's very attractive. And I didn't know this before this morning, so I'm very happy to have discovered it. What about you? Something a little different. 41 years ago, in fact, on May 5th, 1978, I went to the Providence Civic Center and I saw David Bowie perform. It was the iSolar 2 tour, which some people also refer to as the Low and Heroes tour. He was also doing songs from Station to Station and Ziggy Stardust and other things too. But anyway, it was a terrific show. It had featured uh, people like Carlos Alomar, his usual rhythm guitar player, but people like Roger Powell from Utopia on keyboards, Simon House on violin, Adrian Ballou doing uh, the lead guitar stuff because he's the only guy in the world that could possibly come close to sounding like Robert Fripp on a lot of those albums. But anyway, um, I saw him in Providence. He had played in Boston and Philadelphia. And parts of the Philadelphia show were eventually released that fall as the stage album. And I bought it, and it was pretty good. It didn't have a great sound. I found out later that the reason it didn't have a great ambient sound is because it was recorded off of the board. And so it really doesn't... sounds kind of flat. Well, in 2017, stage was re-released in a deluxe version, and they included all the songs that were played in the set list because it was released as two CDs and they had plenty of room. As it turns out, some of the show that I saw was included on the album, so I felt kind of cool that I'm actually on a David Bowie album, so to speak. But um, it's also been remastered, and it just sounds a lot better, and it's always been one of my favorite live albums, but uh, this new version is is really quite delicious. So if you get a chance and you like that, late 70s David Bowie, like I know I do, you'll be a fan too. David Bowie, Stage, is my next track. 
This was episode number 150 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. Your comments are welcome, and you can start or join a conversation on this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't leave a review, recommend us to a few friends. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.